How true is that? Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Mm. Let's uh, bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Father, as we come to you this morning, we come, first of all, asking that you would bless our body. And we pray that as we open up the Word of God and look at it, we pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to us through the Word of God. And we pray also, Lord, for the world in which we live. It's a dark world, a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion, a lot of lies and falsehoods. And to stand on it is to stand on quicksand, sinking sand. And we need the firm foundation of Christ, and so does this world. And you've called us to be ambassadors for Christ. And we're asking you here and now, give us opportunities, open doors to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be bold and enthusiastic about doing so, to be intentional. And Father, we also pray because we know that whenever you gather a group like this together, there are all kinds of needs, all kinds of fears, all kinds of problems. And uh, we want to pray about that, Lord. There are some people here who They're so bogged down and paralyzed by sin, they need the liberating power of Christ to set them free. You said in your word, how shall we who died to sin live any longer therein? Well, that's a good question. And yet we find ourselves doing that. We want to pray that you would set captives free this morning. There are people that are here that are hopeless. And it seems like life has turned against them and turned out in a way they never would have imagined And I want to ask you to do for them what that last song says and make Jesus their hope. Not people, not circumstances, not anything else that's in this world, but Jesus, that hope that never fails. There are some people that are lonely today and uh, you are teaching them through their loneliness to depend upon you. You're not punishing them, you are actually building them up. And I pray, Lord, that even today they would find That Jesus is a friend. That Jesus is a friend of sinners and we can be a friend of God. I pray, Lord, for people who are grieving. And I thank you that you are our comfort through the promises in your word. And I pray that you would comfort them and strengthen them. And then, Lord, I pray for those who are sick. I think of Diana Long recovering from her broken ankle and being in rehab now. And getting ready to go home. And it's going to be a long process. But give her strength. Give her grace. Give her determination. And give her encouragement. And thank you, Lord, that the doctors have found out what caused her to to fall. And to be lightheaded and that type of thing. And pray that they'll be able to treat it. Pray that they'll be able to help her. And Father, we have other people that are battling cancer. And going through treatments or getting ready to go through treatments. People that are coming out of COVID right now and all kinds of things, Lord. And we just want to ask you, defend us, protect us, go to war for us, liberate us, strengthen us, encourage us, and bless us as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. Please be seated and turn with me to the book of Exodus. And uh, we are now at the 
point where we're going to get Aaron dressed. We've made his clothes, and now it's time for him to put them on. And uh, that's always a good thing. And so uh, go ahead and turn to your scripture there. We'll read it in just a second. But I want to open up with kind of a little bit of a story. My nephew is in the Air Force. And uh, he is in a special ops unit. Their mission as a special ops unit, well, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. And yet, what is his job in there? You go, wow, that must be something. He's in the supply side of things. Because if you are going to be the special ops, you've got to have gasoline. You've got to have transportation. You've got to have food. You've got to have ammunition. All of that kind of stuff has to happen. And my brother was telling me that when he was in the infantry in Iraq, he said, I actually found that easier than before when I worked in supply. I said, really, why is that? And he said, because the firefights usually last a matter of minutes. He said, but the supply goes on and on and on 24-7. He said, those guys work themselves to death. Now, my nephew is in the supply side. He's making sure that there's food, ammunition, gasoline, and all of that. I don't know specifically what he does, because then he would have to kill me. But uh, that's what he's doing. But one of the things that I know is this. Whether you are the actual special ops people, boots on the ground, or whether you're back making sure that the paperwork's done, and that all of the materials they need are there, here's the thing. Everybody has the same mission. Everybody has the same mission. Because they're all working together and they're working in harmony to make sure that the mission will be accomplished. And neither one can do it without the other. And so those that are on the supply end of it to accomplish their mission, they need people, boots on the ground to use the supplies to carry out the mission. And the people that are carrying out that mission, boots on the ground, need also the support of everyone back home and back in their unit to make sure that they have everything they need. Same mission, but different roles, and all of them are vital, of course. And so I thought about that as we uh, looked at this particular passage. The mission is the same, but the roles are different even in our spiritual walk, even in the church, even in the kingdom of God. And uh, this story we're going to read really illustrates that. Now somebody said nothing is provided or required that God does not provide. And so the commands correspond to the skills that he gave the people. I mean, think about all these things that we have had God command to do. We built a tabernacle so far. And think about all of the craftsmanship. Think about all of the technology that they didn't have that we have. But think about all the things that they did have that we would have no clue about. I mean, I've got a feeling if you took this generation and you said, I want you to build me a tabernacle of these colors with these materials and all of that, we would go, uh, yeah, uh, Amazon, can we order that and get it here? Walmart, do you carry these things? We would have no clue. Well, they, they knew how to do it because God made sure 
that whatever it was he required, they had the skills. And then also think about this. They're slaves coming out of Egypt, and this tabernacle is a fairly opulent building on the inside, right? Where'd they get all of that? Well, you remember when they were leaving Egypt, the Egyptians were giving them gold and silver and jewels and all of this stuff. Kind of like, get out of here and don't come back. And uh, so they had all of this stuff to give because God will never require what he does not give to his people. So think about that. Whatever it is that God wants our church to do, he has equipped our church through you to do it. We have all the resources to do his will. Think about you individually. You may have an inferior com- inferiority complex as big as this building. But the truth of the matter is, if you're born again, you have something bigger than your inferiority complex. You have the creator of the universe living in you through the Holy Spirit. Supplying the power, supplying the ability that you need to do the will of God. And so everything God requires, he provides. Everything God requires, he provides. And that is so clear in these stories here in Exodus. Now also, keep in mind, while certain situations and stories and narratives focus in maybe on one or two people, there's almost always some other ones in the background. Now what we're going to read about specifically talks about Aaron. But what we're going to see as we look through this, it's not all about Aaron, is it? Aaron is kind of the focal point of all of this as the first high priest. But all of these things that are going to be done and are going to happen are going to take a whole lot of other people. Aaron didn't make his own clothes. Aaron didn't build the tabernacle. Aaron didn't refine the gold. There were other people who did that. And so how many people are in this story And it's not just Aaron and his kids. And it's not just Moses by implication. Hundreds of other people most likely are involved in this story. And we don't know their names nor do we need to know their names. And we don't need to know exactly what they did. And uh, the Lord doesn't reveal that because it's not really important. But what's important for you and for me to look at today is to say... That Aaron could not get to this point and Moses could not get to this point if the people were not doing what they were supposed to do. It takes all of us, in other words, to do all of this. And God assigns and gives the roles. So let's go to the book of Exodus now. And uh, let's begin to uh, think about this as we read the first nine verses of chapter 29. Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may be that they may serve as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil. You know, as much as I don't like Lord's Supper bread, I cannot imagine a Lord's Supper cake, can you? And yet that's what they're called for right here. Uh, oil and wafers that are smeared with oil appetizing and you shall make them a fine wheat flour okay we understand that and you shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams and you shall bring Aaron 
and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and wash them with water, and then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe and the ephod and um, the breastpiece, and gird him with the skillfully woven band, the belt of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. And you shall make anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. And then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. The command of God, the law of God. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. So how many people are in that story? How many people are in that story? I want you to think about somebody made the clothes. And remember all the materials in the clothes. Somebody found the stones that were on the breast piece and uh, polished them, and somebody did the engraving of the tribes of Israel that's on the breast piece. Some did the engraving on the shoulder pieces of the sons of Jacob. Somebody wove the gold together in the linen. Somebody, somebody raised the bull. Somebody raised the rams. They fed them, they cleaned up after them, they took care of them. Somebody did that. Somebody raised the wheat. Or bought the wheat, however they got it. Maybe they had some traders coming by and they got the wheat flour that they needed. Somebody had to grind the wheat down into the fine wheat flour. Somebody had to get the oil that was going to be used on the wafer. Somebody had to bake the unleavened bread too, didn't they? Somebody had to get fuel for the fire. Somebody had to build an oven. Somebody had to do the baking. And on and on and on and on we go with all of this. So how many people are in there? A lot. A lot of people. Now again, unnamed, but their function was so incredibly important and it was so necessary to do what God was commanding them to do. You take anybody out of that situation, you've got a problem. So God makes sure that the chain is unbroken to make sure that everybody is in place, to make sure that everybody even has a skill. You know, there's one place where it talks about uh, the building and the craftsmanship, and God says that he put his spirit within them to give them wisdom to be able to do that. In other words, it all comes from God, and it is all given back to God in these stories, and yet it involves a massive amount of people. And so I, I looked through these things and I thought about, well, the mission is the same, but the roles are different. We're all to be involved in the Great Commission. We're all to be involved in the discipling of men and women and boys and girls. We're all in the mission of being salt and light in a decaying and rottening society. We are supposed to be clarity in a time of confusion. I mean, my goodness, our government can't even figure out what it's doing and what is happening and who's involved and all of that. It's been kind of astounding to watch all of this kind of stuff. Folks, that is just symptomatic of the culture in which we live. And you and I are called to be light in the darkness. In other words, we bring clarity to things that are dark 
and confusing. Things that the world is stumbling over, we shine a light on. That's why we gather to worship. That's why we read the Word of God. We study the Word of God. We preach the Word of God because that is the light unto our path. And there are some times when other people out in the world benefit from our light, don't they? If you're carrying a flashlight and walking along through the woods and you see the place that you're supposed to walk, somebody else may be walking behind you, but they're benefiting from it. And may there be some people that follow along and walk behind us so that our knowledge of truth, our knowledge of the Word, and the light that God has given us would shine and even benefit them for the glory of God. After all, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men, right? Why? That others may see your good works and then glorify our Father which is in heaven. That's what we need to do, and that's how this all works. Now, how do you do this? How do you get in the right place? Because there's nothing more frustrating than to be an infantryman in the military trying to drive a tank. There's nothing more frustrating than to find somebody who is a cook trying to fly an airplane. You've got to do what you were trained for. You've got to do what you were equipped for. You've got to play your role. We're getting ready to start football season, and all God's people said. And one of the things that you'll see on teams that's frustrating is when somebody doesn't fulfill their assignment. And there are different reasons. Maybe they get confused. Maybe they weren't well coached. Maybe they didn't understand it. Or maybe they're trying to be something that they're not. Maybe they're trying to grab a little bit of glory. Maybe they're tired of the quarterback getting all of the attention. Maybe they're tired of the wide receiver getting all of the attention and scoring. And so then you have somebody that's on the line trying to do what those skill positions can do. There's nothing more frustrating than to watch that fall apart and have it cost your team a game. And the same thing is true when it comes to the church. You were called out by the grace of God and placed into the body. And you are given a spiritual gift given to you by the Holy Spirit at the moment of your salvation that you are to use for the building up of the body of Christ. In addition to that, you have a background that is unique. Your parents were unique. Your siblings were unique if you had them. Your grandparents were unique. Your family heritage is unique. Your ethnicity is somewhat unique because we're all kind of a combination of a lot of different things. None of us are really purebreds, are we? You think about the experiences that you had, where you were raised. You think about the things that you've gone through. Maybe a lot of them are really, really good. Or maybe you're one that everything has been kind of rough and kind of bad. And maybe you were on the wrong side of the tracks, as they say. And maybe life has been a disappointment and it's been filled with hurt. It's been filled with grief. It's been filled with turmoil. Is that all for nothing? Or is in the plan of a sovereign God that's supposed to be brought into the body of Christ with your salvation, with you, and with your gift, and with all of your background so that you have an understanding of things, of people, of the times, of the community that maybe some others don't have because they don't have your unique experiences. <laughs> it's all a part of the plan. It's all rigged. And when you think about that, you think about the talents that you have. You've got talents. You've got skills that other people may have. 
but not quite like you. Paul was a tent maker, but so were Priscilla and Aquila, and he could work with them. I wonder which one was the best. I wonder which one was the fastest. I wonder which one sold more tents. We don't know because that kind of stuff is irrelevant, isn't it? The fact is that they were able to support themselves because they had that same talent. They had that same ability. And sometimes in the church we see some of those things where we can group together, where we can work together, where we function well together because we have common interests and common skills. But the goal is the same. To make Christ known and for other people to know him and to honor him and to become disciples of the Lord Jesus. But we do it in very different ways. We think about how the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that he gave some to be apostles. Well, that was a unique calling, wasn't it? To be an apostle. And yet he also called some to be pastors, right? Some to be evangelists. And uh, some to be prophets. I got them out of order. But they're all in there. And each one describes a separate function even of the ministry. So even those of us who are called to preach, we're not the same. And we don't have the same audiences. We don't have the same open doors. We don't have the same opportunities, in other words. We don't have the same skill set. We don't have the same intellect or anything like that, do we? But we have what we need to do what he wants us to do. And the same is true when you think about the Romans 12 motivational gifts. That everybody's a little bit different and we're a combination of those gifts with the talents that God has given us, with the experiences God has given us, so that we're always ready, the church is always ready to minister at the drop of a hat in any given situation within the will of God. There are some things that God will call our church to do that First Baptist Moore is not called to do and maybe couldn't do. And there are some things that they are called to do that we could never approach what they're doing. We don't have the manpower or anything like that to do it. But we can do what God wants us to do. And if every believer would do and serve the way God wants them to serve and quit worrying about whether they're going to be seen or not, whether they're going to have a title or not, whether they really like it or not, or whether it compares with other people or not, just do what God has called you to do. And if every church would do that, then we would be able to see our country really impacted for the gospel of Jesus Christ like never, ever before. But too many times we compete. Too many times we get jealous. Too many times we look and say, well, I'm not as good as they are, so I quit. So many times we get our feelings hurt if we're not recognized. And on and on and on we could go with all of that. And that kind of stuff makes me say, no wonder the Lord got sick when he thought about the church at Laodicea. Because that's the kind of church that they were. And the Lord said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. So we've got to get our act together. And we've got to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the strength of Christ. And according to the way that he has gifted and equipped us uniquely as his children. So number one. I'm going to ask you some questions that I want you to think about. What are you set apart to do? What are you set apart to do? Now, Aaron was set apart, sanctified, consecrated to be the high priest. Not everybody could be the high priest. They didn't elect the high priest. The high priest is chosen. 
He had to be a certain person out of a certain family line, a certain tribe. Not anybody and everybody could do it. Not even anybody and everybody in the tribe could do it. Just the one. Just the one. And so there are things that God calls us uniquely to do that we look around and sometimes we go, well, nobody else is doing this. Then take it as an honor. Maybe, I doubt it, but maybe you're the only one called to do that. Maybe the fact that you're doing it by yourself and no one else seems to care is not really because they don't care. It's just because God has called you to do this. You see, when you were to look at the children of Israel in this situation, did any other ones want to be the high priest? I don't know. Maybe. But they couldn't. Because they were not set apart to do that. This was just for Aaron. And if they didn't really care that much about being the high priest, well, Aaron should care. Because Aaron's got a job to do that is going to benefit and impact all of the people over which God has placed him. It's important to obey God no matter what. It's important to obey God and stand alone if you stand alone. It's important to be like Aaron was in this situation. You may be the only one that God has chosen for this particular task, this particular ministry, this particular situation. But I want you to think about all of the other things that we've already mentioned, that to get Aaron to this point, can you imagine if the Lord says, pour the anointing oil, and somebody goes, who made the anointing oil? Did you make it? I didn't make it. Well, I thought you could make it. Well, why didn't Moses make it? Well, somebody else ought to do it. Well, if Aaron wants his oil so bad, maybe he could have made it himself. What's he think he is, a big shot? Bottom line is it wouldn't have gotten done, and God wouldn't have been honored and it would have been a disaster, wouldn't it? But we know that it did happen because people did what they were supposed to do. They gave what they were supposed to give. And they did what they were supposed to do. They didn't compete for it. They didn't fight over it. They didn't get in each other's way. They let people be who they were. You're the guy that works with the gold? Yeah, go for it. What do you do? I'm the one that weaves the linen. Okay, well, stay out of my way because you don't melt down linen in order to refine it, but you do melt down gold. So you do your job, I'll do my job, and then we'll bring it together at the right time and the right place, and it'll all be in harmony. These people were set apart to do certain things. What are you set apart to do? That might be a good prayer for you to pray right now. The Bible says in Acts 13, verse 2, that while they were worshiping, the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, I don't know how big the group was, but I do know this. Only two were called. Only two were called to be the missions, the missionaries. But the rest were called to ordain them. The rest were called to support them. The rest were called to send them out. And so everybody in the group is involved. I don't know why God said the public ministry is going to be Paul and Barnabas and not somebody else over here, a George or a Bob or somebody else. That's God's business. 
And I don't know why it is that there are people in the church that seem to be more public and seem that their word carries more weight and sways people and other people are not quite as heard, if ever. But I do know this. That is how God works. And we're not supposed to be so concerned with what it is that we are doing that is seen or that is cool or that influences other people. What we are to be occupied on is God glorified and am I being obedient to the Lord like Paul and Barnabas were or the people that ordained them were. And so they weren't insignificant, but they were the ones who actually authorized Paul and Barnabas, that is pretty, pretty big stuff. And in the same way, the other people may not be the high priest in Exodus, but they were the ones who put the stuff together so that the high priest could do the high priestly things. So they were all in this together. Different roles, same mission. Different roles, same mission. Number two, do you take serving seriously? Do you take serving seriously? What do I mean by that? I have noticed from time to time that there are some people, if they get a public job and a title, whoo, boy, they're all in. But if they have to do something that nobody's going to see, empty and trash. If they have to do something that nobody sees, they're behind the scenes sorting out literature or working in something like that, they're not near as enthusiastic as they are when they're singing a solo. They're not near as enthusiastic as when they are named the teacher of a class or when they are called on to read scripture or pray or to uh, teach or fill the pulpit or something like that. I want to say maybe, maybe the Lord is not making it all clear for you because while you are waiting... Is there anything you can do? Is there any contribution you can make to the body? Is there anything you can do for someone else? Is there anything you can do for the glory of God? Yeah, but the pastor and the elders would never know what I was doing. What does that matter? Just do it. And I think that when you're faithful in the small things, and you are able to do the behind-the-scenes, unseen things that nobody else wants to do, but then it's when God takes those people and pulls them out of that and gives them more significant roles. But the people who want the more significant roles, but they're too good to do all this other kind of stuff, God doesn't tend to use them in the same way that he uses his humble servants. Because let me make this really, really clear. For you or for me or anybody, Anything we get to do for God is an honor. Think about that. So what are you doing? And are you doing it with the same enthusiasm that you would if it was in front of the crowd? Would you do it with the same enthusiasm that you do it if it had a title or a paycheck or anything else? Taking it seriously. I mean, take one bull out of the herd and two rams without blemish. Hey folks, somebody had to do that. Who did it? Have no idea. But they did it, and they were so serious about raising that bull, so serious about those rams, that when God said, I want a bull and I want two unblemished rams, there was somebody there to say, well, I've got that. Here it is. Why? Because they took feeding those animals very seriously. They took the care and the health of those animals very seriously. Everything 
was a duty for the glory of God. And so when God wanted it, he calls it out and it's there and it is available. And the same thing is true in your life and my life. Somebody baked those unleavened cakes mixed with oil. Somebody made the unleavened wafers. Somebody refined the oil that was used. Somebody raised the wheat. Somebody bought the wheat, however it may be. Somebody ground the wheat into flour. Somebody made the basket that they were put in. Somebody was the one who was involved in all of this to consecrate the high priest, and we don't even know who they are. But here's the good news. God knows, and God rewards. And do you think that it made the person happy when they had the bull that was used for the sacrifice and the consecration to the high priest? I guarantee you they were happy. When somebody's unleavened cakes were used and put in the basket that was used at that ceremony. Were they happy about that? You bet they were happy about that. But I'm sure there were times when they baked other things that nobody liked, nobody cared about, nobody used. They might have been just thrown away or fed to animals. But the time came when they were faithful and being faithful, they were ready when the Lord called and when the Lord wanted to use them. Someone is involved in all of that. It's Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. That's part of the problem. We need to grow up. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, that's the church, joined and held together by every joint in which it is equipped. When each part, listen to this, when each part of the body is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know, sometimes we talk about a church and we say, oh, that's Brother So-and-So's church, or I go to So-and-So's church. It's not our church. In fact, did you know you will find no place in the Bible where it is the pastor's job to build the church? I mean, first of all, Jesus made the statement, upon this rock, I will build my church. I don't want to get in competition with Jesus. He's the builder of the church. And secondly, you'll notice that the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 that God gave the pastor, among others, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. I am not your minister. All of us are ministers. How many ministers does our church have? Hundreds. Hundreds. And so we need to get about that task. And notice that in the passage we just read, that the body here is building itself up in love. That's the way it's supposed to happen. But so many people want to sit back and be a spectator. Entertain me. Feed me. Do something for me. But they won't do anything for themselves. And that is the tragedy of our day. Number three. Do you see the honor in serving and serve with joy and gladness? Okay. Like I said in that last point, it's an honor to serve God. And so you come along and you bring Aaron and you bring his sons. They come to the entrance of the tent of meeting and uh, wash them. Isn't that interesting? I would be tempted to say, Aaron, take a bath yourself. 
But this is written in the way where it says, you bring them to the tent of meeting and you make sure they get washed. Okay, now there's a job everybody's vying for, right? What's your job? I get to give the high priest a bath. Have you smelled his feet lately? Not a glamorous job. And yet it's necessary, isn't it? You think about all of the things that are being done in here that come together at this one point. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the... Can't he dress himself? Well, he needs a little bit of help probably with the things that are on there. Somebody's got to make sure that it's all there, that it's proper, that it's in good shape, that it's taken care of, and that it's ready for him to wear when he does his high priestly duties. Think about that. I don't get to be the high priest. I get to be the guy that gets his clothes ready and helps him get dressed for all of this. And we can go on and on and on down through this. And yet the Bible tells us that they had to do this and help him in it, at least help him, maybe do it for him. And they had to show up in order to do that. If they didn't show up, it doesn't happen. And the high priest has to be cleansed and somebody is there to do that. And they considered it an honor regardless of the role they played. And here's the thing. So many times we do something and we're serving, but we're not happy about it. We're grumbling, we're griping, we're wondering where everybody else is and how come nobody's noticing what we're doing. And yet Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Up, serve the Lord. And it doesn't stop there. It says with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Psalmist also said in Psalm 84 verse 10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Now here's the key. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Not very many church members feel like that anymore. I want prestige, I want power, I want influence, I want recognition, I want to feel good, I want to like what I'm doing. And sometimes in a battle, soldiers are called to do what they're trained to do, but not what they like to do. And yet it's all necessary. Not everybody can be on the front lines. Not everybody can be behind the machine gun. Not everybody can fly the helicopter or the plane. Somebody's got to do the other stuff as well. And number four, do you see significance in including others. You know, some of you are worn out because you never ask for help because you're not training anybody else to help you. You want to do it yourself. Now, some of that may be because you're not sure who to ask. I understand that. Some of you may do it because, well, I can just do a better job myself. That's a little bit of pride. You might ought to watch that. And some of you don't do it because you don't care enough about training other people. It's too much trouble. It's too much bother. Yeah, it is. Because they don't know what they're doing. And they stumble and fumble around and they mess up. And you have to go back and do the work over again. And I'd just rather do it myself is the cry of so many in the church today. And yet that's not what you find in these verses. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. And then you shall bring his sons. There's always in the Bible this intergenerational aspect. Now, we have two problems. Sometimes we have older people that don't want to take the time to teach younger people. But let's be fair. There are a lot of you that are younger that you resent it when anybody older tries to tell you anything. 
And you think they're criticizing you. You think that they're saying you don't know what you're doing. You think that they're saying your generation is no good. Well, they might be. But give them the benefit of the doubt. They might not be either. They may be trying to help you to grow and to equip you and to train you to be able to take their place someday. I think it's interesting when we think about anointing, we think about somebody taking a bottle of oil and a little dab and putting it on them. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down the collar of his robes. This is the player's putting the Gatorade on the coach, right? I mean, they're taking a bucket of oil and they're pouring it on Aaron so that it goes down in his beard and in his collar and all of that. I mean, this is serious anointing, isn't it? Not just a casual little thing. They took their anointing seriously. And when you think about this, there's unity in what they do. There's harmony when they do it together, even though they may be different. But all of them, the bottom line is, it's obedience and faithfulness to the mission that they've been given. In Psalm 145, verse 4, it says, One generation shall command your, commend sorry, your works to one another and shall declare your mighty acts. Jim Elliott, when he was called to be a missionary, his parents were not really approving of it. And in a letter he wrote, he said, I do not wonder that you were saddened at the word of my going to South America. He replied on August the 8th. This is nothing else than what the Lord Jesus warned us of when he told the disciples that they must become so infatuated with the kingdom and following him that all other allegiances must become as though they were not. And he never excluded the family. In fact, those loves that we regard as closest, he told us that they must become as hate in comparison with our desires to uphold his cause. Grieve not then that your sons seem to desert you, but rejoice rather at seeing the will of God done gladly. And remember how the psalmist described children? He said that they were as an heritage of the Lord and that every man should be happy who has his quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of? Arrows. And what are arrows for? but to shoot. So with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly, all of them, straight at the enemy's hosts. Give of thy sons to bear the message glorious. Give of thy wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out thy soul for them in prayer, victorious. And all thou spendest, Jesus will repay. Jim Elliott must have been an old, wise man to be able to write like that and to think like that. He was killed on the mission field by the Aka Indians 
trying to share the gospel, trying to build relationships, and they repaid him with the tip of a spear, and he died at age 28. 28. What are you doing with your life? What's going on? Ask yourself these questions. Answer honestly. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, that's where it all begins. You've got to bow the knee and bow the heart before Him, trusting in His death on the cross as the full payment for your sins, and that He rose from the dead, and you're saying to Him, Lord, I'll not do what you say if I can do A, B, and C. You say, like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, what would you have me do? Then these questions become relevant. But if you are a born-again believer, these questions are very, very relevant and may be the reason that you're not being used. They may be the reasons that you are not having joy in your Christian walk because these things are very important. You're holding out for the big dog title. You're holding out for something that you think is significant. You're holding out for something that's going to get you recognition or applause. You need to take up the cross and die to self and get busy serving the Lord and serving Him with gladness, serving Him seriously because it's an honor to serve Him. And as you do that, it will become clear what you have been set apart to do by the grace of God. Can anybody say amen to that? That really is practical and it really, really matters. Heavenly Father, thank You for allowing us to look at Your Word and not just see a story but to think deeply about it, to think about the background in it, and to think about how it really does apply to us because we have one mission and different roles. And so many times, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for trying to adjust the mission so that we can have the role that we want when we ought to be adjusting our roles so that the mission is carried out. The goal is what matters Thy will be done on earth and in Graceway as it is in heaven. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.